Uh, well, good morning, everyone. The uh, details of the reading are on the screen as usual. If you're looking it up, it's towards the end of the New Testament. If you need a reference, the page numbers are on the screen. The heading in my Bible begins, Warning Against Falling Away. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tested the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tested the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abram received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. Thanks very much, Hilton. Do keep that open. And let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word to us. And as we come to this particular part of your word, please help us to learn, to understand. But help us not just to learn things about you. Help us to learn to love you with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, back in 2008, I went out to visit a good friend in Sydney, Australia. And uh, one afternoon we went for a little run along the coast together. And for those of you who've been to Sydney, you know there's beach after beach where the, the waves just keep rolling in. And of course, the majority of these beaches were packed with surfers. But every now and again, you came to a beach which was actually a little bit deserted. And it wasn't until you got closer that you realized why. Because at the top of some of these beaches, you come across a sign like this one. Shark sighted today, enter water at own risk. The signs that we saw were a little bit different to that. The wording was pretty similar. But instead of a, a cartoon shark, there was actually real-life graphic images of shark attacks. And so as you walked along this beach, you, ooh, you thought, that's, that's a bit graphic, that's a bit much. But of course, that's the point, isn't it? Those signs were put there to grab people's attention, to warn them in love of the danger of going swimming in shark-infested waters. And through the book of Hebrews, we see a number of these warning signs. In fact, the book is punctuated with them. Warning signs, not put there to, to warn us of immediate physical danger, but to warn us of the spiritual danger of apostasy, of turning our back on Jesus Christ. We've seen a number of these warnings already. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. The danger of drifting is very real. Of drifting slowly away from Jesus, caught up in the current of this world. And we came across this one, chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, see to it. It is your job, your responsibility to each other. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And then as we come to chapter 6 this morning, we see that same warning come with even greater clarity and force. Have a look down again at it. Chapter 6, verse 4 through to 6. Let me read it to you. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him 
to public disgrace. But before we come to that particular warning in chapter 6, there's a couple of other pastoral concerns that the preacher here addresses. And the first of them is found in chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It's the problem of spiritual infancy. Have a look, if you would, verse 11. We have much to say about this. But it is too hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. It's a pretty startling picture, isn't it, of immaturity? Imagine walking into Prezzo in Tame, and as you're walking there, you're thinking, what am I going to have, the, the Polo Ad Astra, or maybe a nice filling, meaty lasagna, and as you walk into Prezzo, it's full of people, families and couples and, and businessmen in their suits straight after work, but to your horror, no one's eating pizza. In fact, no one's eating solid food at all. They're suckling milk on big baby bottles. And if it wasn't so sad, it'd be a hilarious picture, wouldn't it? Here's a room full of grown adults, but they've not moved on from infancy. They've not matured in their diet. They're still drinking milk from a baby bottle. And that is the picture here of the church that this pastor is writing to. You see, these Christians, they're not new Christians. Do you see that there in verse 12? By this time, you ought to be teachers. These people have been exposed to enough truth. These people have been following Jesus for long enough to be teaching others God's word. But instead, they're back in school themselves, learning their ABCs all over again. And in verse 11, we find out why they're stuck in their infancy. Can you see it there? We have much to say to you about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you. Why? Because you no longer try to understand. You see, for the school teachers here, you'll know that there'll be, there'll be children that you teach that will try ever so hard, but they find learning difficult. There's others in your class that'll be ever so able, but they're just not bothered. And when it comes to the church here, this first century church in Rome, It seems that they fall into that latter category. They've lost their love for learning, their desire to know Christ and to grow towards maturity in him. Apathy, we've heard it this morning already, apathy leads to infancy. In fact, the Greek word there in verse 11 that is translated no longer try, it's the same word you find in chapter 6 verse 12 that's translated there lazy. Can you see it there, 6 verse 12? We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. These people have got lazy in their listening. And as a result, they're stuck in infancy. And so I wonder, as we read those verses there on the screen, is this a danger for us as well? Maybe you're here week after week and you're present in this building and you, 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 you turn up regularly. But are we actually switched on to what the Lord is saying? Or are we like that eight-year-old boy in class who's there, he's physically there, he's present in the room, he's been taught, 
but it's just not going in. He's got lazy in his listening and he leaves that class totally unchanged. By the grace of God, let us open our ears to the word of God in order that we might be restored to the image of God. A couple of books on the screen to recommend to you as we think about not being lazy in our listening. These are both, I think, on the bookshelf. How to walk into church and then listen up. And both these books, they're very small books, they're written to help us make the most out of our time as we gather together in corporate worship to prepare our hearts. So often we're so frantic on a Sunday and we rush in, quick cup of tea and we rush out and the whole of a Sunday morning is a blur. These books are about slowing down to prepare our hearts to engage with what we hear, the people that we sit alongside, to ready our minds to understand and to think about what the Lord is speaking into our hearts and to pray into these things. There's a real danger that we get lazy in our listening. And so the pastor writes, firstly, to address the problem of spiritual infancy. But secondly... He goes on to talk about the pathway then to spiritual maturity. Look down at verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, milk is good, isn't it? Milk is good and it is a necessary part of our physical development. But at some point you need to broaden your diets to include other things. And we get this in a physical way, right? As people grow from baby to child to adult, some things remain the same. Milk, the sustenance for your life, if you like. But gradually we broaden our diets. You see, there are essential ingredients, essential gospel truths that we feed on as babies. But as we grow up, we need to expand our diet. Doesn't mean we take these out of our diets. They're still there. But we need to expand our diet to include the full breadth of biblical teaching. Which is why we read in 2 Timothy, these famous verses, all scripture, all of it, every single word of it, God breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see John chapter 3 verse 16? Do we know it? It's a glorious gospel truth, isn't it? For God so loved this world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is pure gospel milk. Wonderful, life-changing, Christ-exalting truth. It is a beautiful thing. But here's the point. The Bible has more to say than John chapter 3, verse 16. If we want to walk together down the path towards spiritual maturity. And that's the point that he goes on to make in chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, he goes on to say, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Here we get a list, if you like, of those other elementary teachings about Christ. Repentance, faith, how to be clean before God, receiving the Spirit, which is symbolized here by the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. These are gospel essentials, non-negotiable ingredients, the foundation of the Christian life. But of course, as the foundation, they are there to be built on with the fuller breadth of biblical teaching. So by way of application, could I encourage you to keep putting yourself in places where you will be well fed? Churches, if you move on, that teach the full counsel of God. Not a shortened menu, but the full menu of biblical truth. Not just those churches that teach you what you want to hear, but the churches that teach you what you need to hear as well. You see, there is a responsibility in these verses for the leaders and for the preacher, but there's a responsibility here as well for the individual listener. Can you see it there in verse 14? But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, we live in the day of the personal trainer, don't we, when it comes to physical fitness. We want someone qualified who's going to write the exercise program for us and who's going to push us down the pathway of healthy living. And that's helpful. That's a good thing to have. But here's the deal. They cannot make you fit, right? They cannot make you fit. You need to take responsibility for your own physical fitness. And it's the same spiritually. What a wonderful blessing to have people around you who will teach you the word of God. Accountability. People look you in the eye and push you on towards wholesome, healthy living in Christ. But here's the thing. They cannot make you fit spiritually. They can help you. But you need to take responsibility for your own growth. So don't get lazy. Don't get lazy in your listening. Be in the word of God regularly with each other on your own. Think about it. Pray into it. Meditate upon it. And when you're here on a Sunday, really be here. Yeah? Don't just half be here. Really be here. Be prepared to learn and to listen and to engage with this gospel of grace and talk about these things. Pray into these things with each other. After the service, take one thing. One thing from God's word this morning. And will you talk about it, not just leave it and rush on? Will you think about it? Will you talk about it with a friend? Will you discuss it around the dinner table over lunch? Will you pray into these things? Because this is the pathway to spiritual maturity. So firstly, we have the problem of spiritual infancy. Secondly, we have the pathway to spiritual maturity, to be prayerfully in the word of God together. And then thirdly, we come to the peril of spiritual apostasy. And so we're walking together along the Sydney coastline. And we're talking together about the pathway to spiritual maturity. But as we're chatting, we come across this warning sign in Hebrews chapter 6. And this is what it says. 
It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again. Now, before we think about the detail of the warning here in these few verses, just a couple of points of context. Firstly, these words are written by a caring pastor to his beloved church. This is a warning given in love to stop people walking into spiritual danger. But our second context is a wider biblical context. We need to keep in in mind other words in scripture and particularly these words here in John chapter 10, 28 and 29. Wonderful words of assurance from the lips of the Lord Jesus that we need to hold in tension with this warning that we find in Hebrews chapter 6. This is what Jesus says. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The context here is Jesus as the good shepherd. His business is gathering a flock of wayward sheep to himself to give them life and security. And when he does that... When he draws a lost sheep to himself, a person into his fold, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Not one sheep can be stolen from the loving care and oversight of Jesus. So what then do we understand of Hebrews chapter 6? And this warning that speaks then of falling away. Well, you see, we must understand, biblically, there is a difference between professing faith and possessing faith. It is possible to profess faith in Jesus publicly, to align ourselves with the things of God and the people of God without actually possessing a genuine, authentic, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you one name. To make my point, Judas Iscariot. A chilling reminder of how close we can be to Jesus without actually being included in the family of faith. Here is a guy who was singled out by Jesus, one of the twelve. Sent out by Jesus to heal, to cast out demons, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, one of the original band of twelve. Here's a guy who in many ways, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4, has been enlightened by Jesus. Here's a guy who has experienced the work of the Spirit. He's seen God at work all around him. Here's a guy who has tasted the goodness of God's word in the teaching of Jesus himself. He sat there on the Sermon of the Mount and listened to Jesus as he spoke. Yet, verse 6, here's a man who turned away from Jesus walked out into the night and never returned. You see, Judas may have professed faith publicly. He followed Jesus for three years. He walked with Jesus. He associated himself with the people of Jesus, but he didn't actually possess a genuine, saving, authentic, born-again faith in his heart. He never really trusted 
in the sin-bearing work of Jesus Christ. And the application to that warning then comes in verse 7 and 8 with this farming metaphor that is used. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Two hearts, two fields. Both receive the same gospel reign of revelation. You could say Peter, the apostle Peter and Judas, sat under the same teaching, seeing the same things. One heart grows fruit and experiences God's blessing. The other heart grows thorns and thistles and experiences God's judgment. Hence the call back in chapter 3 verse 12 to guard your hearts. Again, it comes up again and again through the book of Hebrews. Guard your hearts against unbelief. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Firstly, the preacher addresses the problem of spiritual infancy. Secondly, he talks about the pathway to spiritual maturity. Thirdly, he talks about the peril of spiritual apostasy. And fourthly, we find the promise of spiritual certainty. Verse 9, look down with me. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. And verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And then we finish in verse 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. For our honeymoon, me and Han went to Greece for a a sailing holiday. And I think they're pretty lax in Greece because we did two days training and they gave us a boat, a 30-foot sailing boat. And so off we go, Mediterranean at at your beckoning. And we we did most of the week as a flotilla, which means you go around as a a group of boats. You do a bit on your own, but you, you generally end up in the same place. But one night we were given total freedom. You could stop this night wherever you wanted. So we get our map out plot our course, find this lovely little cove somewhere, and off we go. We land there about evening, we drop anchor, we're on free anchor, go for a little dip off the boat, bit of food, turn in for the night. You'd have thought that would have been the most relaxing evening and night imaginable, so gently bobbing up and down on the water. But you know what I did? Every hour I'm out on deck, right? Every hour, because I can't, is the anchor still holding? Are we drifting out to sea? And every time I went out on deck, the anchor's still holding. It was a wonderful thing. I smiled and went down for a bit, and I was back up again. I was back down again. But the anchor held. And you see, at times, you might drift a little bit. If the wind changes direction, you'll drift from 15 meters there to 15 meters there. There's a bit of slack on the line, but there's a point when the anchor grips. And you will not drift any further. 
And it is the same, my friends, in the Christian life. We all will drift at times a little bit. We will drift. There'll be moments when we feel like we've lost our our zeal that burned within us and it's waning a little bit. There'll be moments when we're grappling with difficult doctrines in the word of God and I can't get my head around it. How does it work out? And we feel like we're drifting a little bit. There's moments when we've got these moral and ethical confusions because culture's ever shifting around us all the time. The word of God's the only thing that doesn't change. But it causes us to think, what's going on? Everything's moving. I don't know what's happening. And there's times when experiences in life, hard, difficult experiences, maybe cause you to even question the existence and the goodness of God. There's moments in your life when we'll drift as a Christian. But please be encouraged, because for those who are in Christ, the anchor will hold. The moment when the anchor grips in. And you will not drift any further. The Lord Jesus has got you secure in his everlasting grip. And that's why we celebrate, isn't it, as we sing songs like this, Cornerstone, Christ Alone, we'll sing it to close in a moment. When darkness seems to hide his face, and it feels like I've lost sight of the loving face of the Lord Jesus, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. That's the veil, the little bit of drift on the looseness of the line. But Jesus will not let you drift beyond the veil because you are secure in his hands. And what is that hope? Have a look down, verse 19 and 20 as we finish. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And it's firm and it's secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. What is our hope? What is the anchor for our soul? It is the person and work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has entered the inner sanctuary of heaven itself and he's entered with his own blood once for all time as a full and final sacrifice for sin. This is the hope, the finished work of the Lord Jesus, and it is an anchor. It is an anchor for your soul, firm and secure. Did you notice in verse 20 what Jesus referred to as? Our forerunner. He's our forerunner because he's gone before us. And if he's gone before us, I'm coming after him. And do you know where I'm going to? Through faith in Christ, the inner sanctuary, into heaven, the very presence of our joy-filled, all-satisfying, all-glorious God. And I'm going there because the Lord Jesus has paved the way. It was once out of bounds behind the curtain, wasn't it? Because of sin. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, the curtain has been torn in two and we have free access into the very presence of God. It is open to all who believe. And so we read in verse 12, chapter 6, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Friends, don't get lazy in your listening. Think about these things. Pray about these things. Wait patiently 
until we inherit all that our Lord has promised. Why don't you take a moment now to reflect, maybe take one of those points that are on the screen there that we thought about and pray into it and say, this is the one I'm going to take home with me. I'm going to talk to somebody about it and I'm going to pray with somebody about it. So just take a moment now to reflect and then we're going to sing as we close our time together.